Hey guys, you're listening to episode 88 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. My name is Cody, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. Today, we're talking to Ron Blue, founder of Kingdom Advisors and Ronald Blue Trust. Ron is widely recognized as a pioneer in the modern generosity movement. He launched his advising firm, Ronald Blue Trust, with the simple goal of increasing his clients' capacity to give in order to expand God's kingdom. And I think it's safe to say that he's certainly accomplished that. He also happens to be a big fan of the financial finish line, something near and dear to our hearts. Ron later went on to found Kingdom Advisors, which provides training to financial advisors and firms across the country to help them guide their clients in biblical principles of financial management and deeper generosity. He's also one of the co-founders of the National Christian Foundation. Ron is overflowing with wisdom and stories of generosity. All right, let's get to the interview. Today, we have the privilege to talk to Ron Blue. Ron, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for asking me. So why don't you start us off just telling us a little bit about yourself, maybe some of your faith background and some of your upbringing. (laughs) Since I'm 81 years old right now, we may not have time, (laughs) and it may not be a little bit. (laughs) So let me summarize it if I can. Um, I'm from Indiana originally and graduated from Indiana University in 1967 with an MBA degree and then went to work on Wall Street with what's now KPMG, Uh, spent uh, three years with them, and then I started a CPA firm in Indiana, uh, in Indianapolis uh, in 1970. And interestingly enough, that firm now is 56 years old and it has... uh, 550 employees, and it's the 56th largest firm in the country. I was with it for seven years, and then I left to go into ministry and spent two years really with a subsidiary of Campus Crusade, which is crew now, and made 10 trips to Africa, trying to teach some evangelism and discipleship uh, in various countries over there as a part of Campus Crusade. And did did that for two years. And then in 1979, one of my mentors was Dr. Howard Hendricks, who was a professor at Dallas Seminary and really in, I would say, the last generation, uh, just a giant. He, along with Billy Graham and Chuck Colson, and he was of that vintage and, and really of that influence also. And Howie and I had become friends, and he asked me to take a look at his finances because I thought I was done with the financial world. I had left that. I had spent 10 years uh, as a CPA, and I took a look at his finances and was able to say to him, how are you and Gene are going to be just fine? You're living within your income. You don't have any debt. You accept your mortgage, and uh, you've got many years left of productivity. You're maximizing your retirement planning, and, and you're going to be okay. And it was interesting because it was almost visceral, the relief that he experienced when I said that. It was, uh, his feeling was, I'm a a seminary professor and I'm never going to make enough money to retire, let alone to provide for uh, my family. And so for a professional to, to take a look and say, hey, you're doing fine. And just as a sidebar there, I believe that I've done a lot of speaking and I would say to an audience that if you could ask me one question, I think I know what it would be. And that question is, how am I doing? Really came from that first experience with Howie 
uh, just taking a, a look at it and, and being able to say, again, with uh, experience and, and knowledge, you're okay. And that led me, that experience led me to, at Howie's encouragement, to use the financial experience and skills that I had to help other people. And so I set out to form an organization. Actually, it wasn't an organization. It was me and a part-time secretary, but we'll call it an organization. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, with a mission of helping Christians plan and manage their finances so they'd have more to give away. And the very first client that I had that paid me a fee for advice was a physician who was making about $82,000 a year. And I asked him what his net uh, worth was. Uh, and he said, oh, I don't know, three or 400000 And so he wanted to give a million dollars to Campus Crusade. They had a fundraiser going on. And it, intuitively, you look at that and you say, well, that, that can't happen. But what happened was that when I gathered all of his information, I found something that has turned out to be very typical very few people draw off their own personal balance sheet, what they own and what they owe. They really don't have a knowledge of that to speak of. And when I pulled it together, he had a lot more assets than what he remembered, if you will. And so we developed a plan for him to give away $200,000 of property a year for five years. Now, this was in 1980. And tax rates at that time, marginal tax rates were 70%. So when he gave away 200000 it reduced his taxes by about 140000 which was cash. So he now had more cash than he had ever had. So he started to give that away. And we just did that over five years, and he gave away a million dollars over five years and, and ended up with about the same place he was when he started. And I thought, there's got to be thousands of people like that that are doing fine financially, uh, but they don't know how fine they're doing, and they don't know how much they really can give. And so Dr. Bright, CEO of Campus Crusade and founder, asked me to come on staff with Campus Crusade. And I said, Bill, I can do more for you off staff than I can on staff. And Campus Crusade began putting me in front of their donor groups. So whenever they would have a fundraiser, I would speak. And my value proposition was, if you want to give away a million dollars, I can help you do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty unusual value proposition. But what happened over about four or five years is I ended up with a national clientele, really, of rich Christians that I was working with. And that was not by design. It was not by marketing. When people said, how did you build that business? I said, I answered the telephone. And that really was true. I wasn't out selling something. And long story short, God allowed me to build staff and an organization with that vision. And I just today watched a video of an interview uh, of myself and the current CEO of Ronald Blue and Company, the company I founded in 1980. And today that company has 10,000 clients and about 20 offices and has 450 employees. And they're advising on about $60 billion worth of money. 
but they still have the same vision and mission, and that is to help people plan so they have more money to give away. And that's the company, and God has multiplied that hundreds and hundreds of times. That's the medium story, if you will. (laughs) I'll finish it this way. I, I left the company after 23 years to join with Larry Burkett and Howard Dayton, and I started another organization, which is now called Kingdom Advisors, And I looked at Ronald Blue and Company, the first organization, as the proof of concept. And the concept was that you could make good financial decisions using biblical financial wisdom. So you were not being foolish, if you will, or wasteful at all. And so it was the marrying of God's word with professional knowledge. That was the proof of concept. It worked. And when I started Kingdom Advisors, the question was, is it replicable outside of that company? And today there's about 3,000 Kingdom Advisors, and many have gone through training. I was able to put together how I trained at Ronald Bloom Company. We've trained probably 2,000 financial advisors, and that's where the real multiplication is. And so Ronald Bloom Company is terrific firm, has about 150 client managers, but then you look at uh, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, LPL, Raymond James, Edward Jones, Ameriprise, all of these professional firms that have hundreds and thousands of Christians uh, that are a part of those firms. And that's where the real multiplication of giving is going to come from, is the expansion there is If every one of those client managers or those uh, professional advisors had 50 clients, we're talking now about thousands upon thousands of families that are going to be impacted uh, by those advisors. And that's the way God's economy works. And So uh, I'll finish with this. People say, well, you've got quite a legacy. And I say, no, I don't have a legacy. Because, uh, number one, I didn't change anybody's life. The people that that listened, they changed their life. So the advisors that are listening and going through the training will say, it changed my life or something like that. Say, no, no, no. I said, you changed your life. And that's really true. As advisors, we can provide information, but the client or the whoever's listening is the one that has to change their own life. And I've been an observer of what God is doing in this particular time period. And I just have had that privilege. So I'm sorry, that's a long story. (laughs) That's my whole life. I got five kids, 13 grandkids, four great grandkids, and that finishes it. (laughs) And I've been married 58 years. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. Ron, I think it'd be a tall task to try to quantify the impact of the advice provided through these organizations that you founded and helped to really launch. But uh, a wise man once said, you can't take someone where you haven't been before. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got started in your own generosity journey, which then prepared you to later guide and bring other people along in that same journey. My wife became a believer before me about two years before me, and I had been raised in a Christian home, but it was very kind of rigid, and so I uh, was uh, totally turned off by Christianity. 
when she told me she had become a Christian, I threatened her with divorce from the standpoint of, I said, I know more about the Bible than you do, and it, it doesn't work. She lived out really First Peter 3 for two years, and I accepted Christ two years later. But here was the point relative to giving. During that two years, she wanted to tithe, but she never challenged me to do that. In fact, she told a friend of hers that God may get a hold of Ron, but he'll never get a hold of his pocketbook. (laughs) (laughs) And so she was very wise. She didn't say anything about giving. So we didn't didn't give during that two-year period. But when I committed my life to Christ, kind of one of the first things that we did do was to just of our own accord, really, begin tithing. And so the tithing has been with me for the length of time that I've been a believer. But I, I believe that tithing is really just the beginning point of giving. And what I have found, several things, and I could, I've written a book on giving, but just a couple of thoughts on giving as I have matured spiritually, I've done several things. One is Judy and I did set a finish line on accumulation. And that finish line moves over time because when you're raising kids and they're in their uh, their preteens and teens, that's a whole different lifestyle. And you're saving for education and for marriages and so forth. So that finish line is higher, if you will, than where it is today for us. Because now our oldest daughter is 56 years old. Four of the five are married, but they've all made it. So what's happened is that our finish line has come down. We said we don't need what we were accumulating for because we've met all those long-term goals. We give regularly and we give spontaneously a lot. By that, I mean a lot of times we give spontaneously. The other thing that we do is we find great joy in giving non-deductible gifts. Right now, we're providing partial support for a single mom with three kids who had been in an abused relationship and is now trying to get back on her feet. So we just give cash because that's that's a lot easier than trying to find a way to make that a deductible gift. It's, the deduction is irrelevant. It's the amount that person needs. So th- I would say this, the more generous we've been, the more generous we tend to become. And I would credit my wife for being extraordinarily generous. And it, it's helped me be generous also. Setting that finish line was a huge thing. For example, we gave away our retirement plan several years ago. Because we had passive income that was going to stay with us for a while, we didn't need that as uh, the backup. So we gave it away. (laughs) Now, I will say this. uh, The way we gave it away was when Ronald Blue and Company was sold and I got a, a payout on that, Judy said, you didn't build that firm. God built that firm. That's really his money. (laughs) So I said, oh, yeah, I guess. So we gave it away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
And I've, I just have had terrific joy in, in the whole area of giving. And giving, to me, breaks the power of money. And when you open your hand and give, it it's life-changing, for sure. Yeah, Ron, just hearing you talk about some of these decisions, like they're just a casual decision to give away your retirement savings, <laughs> give away the business that you had spent your life building, it just so perfectly captures the joy that comes from generosity. And I'd, I'd just love to hear how you would frame what you find to be the most compelling aspects of generosity that have sustained you through all this time in not only pursuing it in your own life, but in championing it to advisors, to clients, to all the people that you have impacted over the years. I know this to be the case, that generosity is always symptomatic. And it's symptomatic of transformation. So if you're going to talk about generosity, it really begins with transformation. And in the training that we do, where the first question to be asked and answered is who owns it? And when you answer that question and say that God owns it, that's a life-changing decision because now every financial decision becomes a spiritual decision. You understand that. And that's where God now can begin to work and make it uh, transformational in, in your life. And when the relationship with him is transformational, the giving is automatic because things totally different, if you will. Needs that you would not have recognized before. I'll tell you just one real little example that I was influenced uh, by a pastor uh, and heard him describe his own giving journey several years ago. And he talked about giving away cash. And so we now carry cash with us and like when I'm going through an airport, I, the thing I love to do is to go into the restroom and the person that's cleaning it is unseen. And you walk up and you say, here's 20 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever it may be and say, thank you for what you do. And you see a face light up. So the giving where it's not normally given, I get a lot of joy out of that. I do a lot of traveling. So when I check out of the rental car, I I give the person who checked me out at the gate some money. They'd never get tipped. <laughs> In fact, one of the most significant giving stories that I had was uh, I used to take, when the kids were littler, I used to take at this particular point a son to Chick-fil-A. And this Hispanic lady waited on us every week. And I was walking out of the Chick-fil-A one time and I I, I said, you tip waiters. I wonder if they can tape tips here. So I went back in. I, I reached in my pocket, and I took out a $20 bill. And God said, that's pretty cheap. <laughs> I had a lot of 20s. Okay. <laughs> so I, I made it $100, and I walked back in, and I said to this lady, I said, can you take a tip? And she said, yes. So I gave her that, folded up. She didn't know how much she got. And I went back a week later, and what she said to me was so incredible. 
She said, you know, when you gave me the $100, she said, I needed a new set of tires. And I said, this is the answer for getting that new set of tires. She said, but my daughter came home from school that night and one of her classmates uh, that lived in an apartment had a fire and they lost everything. And she said, they needed the money more than I did. So I gave it to them. That, that was incredible. I gave out of an abundance and she gave out of uh, her widow's might, if you will. And I think that's the way God wants to work. He wanted her to experience the joy of that. And she had the joy of helping that family. And that was bigger joy than getting the set of tires. That had a real impact on me. And I share that story not frequently enough because it, it is so unbelievable what God did. But he allowed me to see it. Well, Ron, I love what you said about generosity being symptomatic of transformation. And for someone who's experienced that transformation and they're starting to live or have been living a life of generosity, you started to mention a finish line, which obviously is something that we're big fans of on the Finish Line podcast. But can you share a little bit more for the audience? What is a financial finish line? I know there's a couple different types And how is that a tool for someone who wants to structure their finances in a way to to account for generosity? I'm an accountant by background and training. To me, the finish line is a quantifiable number. And it's a function of a lot of things about your life. Everybody's life is unique. How many children do you have? What's the family situation relative to wealth and wealth transfer, if any? So there's not a a standard there, but people have different needs. And so the finish line will be different depending upon those needs. And if we look out, let's just use the classic example of somebody that is working toward retirement. And they're looking to have money in retirement that will allow them to live out the rest of their life at the minimum. What that finish line is, is a function of the life that they've led. So I'll give you one example. I was speaking at a professional athletes conference years ago, and there was a a major donor to that organization, Professional Athletes Outreach. And they asked if I would take a look at their finances because they would like to give as much as they could. So I said, sure. So I I set up an appointment and they lived in Northern California and he was the CEO of a major grocery chain. So he had a very significant position. And this was pre-GPS. And so I had my map to where they lived when I got off the airplane. And I drove there and it was a trailer park. Now, it was a very nice trailer park, and they had a very nice trailer, but it was a trailer park, and it was a two-bedroom, so I spent the night there, and when I did a financial plan for them, I said to them, I said, you can give away a million dollars, and I said, here are the numbers, and he was a CEO. He understood numbers, 
but they still had doubts that they could do that. I got a message from his widow two or three years ago. She had remained a client of Ronald Blue and Company. And she said, Chuck died, her husband. And she said, I just wanted you to know that when you told us we could give away a million dollars, we really had doubts. But we not only gave that million, but we were able to give multiple millions away over our time. And when I think of a couple that epitomizes to me this generosity piece from a financial standpoint, I think of them for this reason. You don't have to live in a trailer park. That's not the point. But they were very content with what they had in life. They were not discontent at all. Secondly, because they were managing their finances according to principles, they also were real confident that they were making good decisions because they were principle-based decisions. And the third thing that epitomized this family was they had two daughters and the communication in the family was very transparent. The daughters knew what was going on and were all for it, for their parents' sake. So because of that, they had the freedom to give and the joy of giving, and they gave away millions because they planned to give away. Had they just let life happen, it wouldn't have happened. So that when I say finish line, it's when people say, I'm not going to just see how it all turns out. I'm going to be intentional about how it turns out. The finish line is an intentional point. And the reality is that it does change over time because circumstances change and kids change and grandkids change and so forth. And if you live as long as I have and you've seen your kids and they've been successful, they don't need the money, if you will. The third generation has not seen the money made. So when they get it, there's the risk of entitlement when you get to that third and fourth generation because they've not experienced the creation of the wealth. So I believe that the safest thing that people can do is to give it away because we know where that goes. That goes into eternity. It accomplishes a lot more when it's given than when it's accumulating. Anyway, that family just epitomizes what I think is possible. The being content is a choice. And we're confronted every single day with billions of dollars being spent to make me discontent. <laughs> I like to say I didn't even know what I needed till I went to the mall. <laughs> <laughs> but we have used this word, I need, when we don't need, if you will. And it's hard living in America today and being generous because of the temptations that we have to spend, if you will. We have very few examples of people who are really giving sacrificially. Probably if they're giving sacrificially, they're also giving anonymously. So that's another reason you don't see it. Yeah, Ron, finish lines are such a powerful idea and really a frame shift idea compared to a lot of the financial story we are 
given as Americans, the traditional American dream narrative. And now I know you have a lot of experience talking to others about finish lines, both as an advisor and as a speaker and a trainer and an educator. I would love to hear how you try to introduce somebody to the idea of a finish line, somebody who's never really considered it before. When I'm speaking, uh, a lot of times I'll just use the phrase, look, if you don't have a goal, you'll never get there. Or on the other side, any road will get you there. Where is it that you would like to end up? And if you're dependent upon your money for your security, you don't have security. There's no guarantee on what might happen economically. And God is the provider. And so the the idea of saying, Lord, I don't want to accumulate beyond what you would like for me to accumulate and what I might need, because I'd like to put that money to work in the kingdom right now. I've got a limited amount of time on earth. And to putting that money to work, if you will, or time to work, because stewardship is broader than just money, then they have to make that choice. And I find people that are really serious about giving, a light bulb comes on when you say that. And so they're the ones that say, you know what, I'd like to find out if there is a finish line. And if you were going to look at my finances, what would you say I need? Bob Buford uh, was a friend of mine. And Bob said, I figured out what my finish line was. I doubled it and gave the rest away. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, that's fine. (laughs) That's a process. (laughs) But he set the finish line and he just doubled it for security purposes uh, and gave the rest away. And he started halftime, which has had a phenomenal ministry. Ron, you talked about Kingdom Advisors a little bit, and it's an organization that I have personally benefited from. I've been to a couple of the conferences, and I'm I'm going this coming year. I really look forward to that as a resource to equip people who are in the position to not only personally benefit from the, the teachings and the education and the network, but also to better equip them, like you said, to have a multiplicative effect whether it's with clients or with peers or just within family units. Uh, I just would love to hear uh, about your perspective on how we continue this message as we are experiencing the beginnings of the great wealth transfer. How do we carry this message into future generations? I think it's probably more done on a one-to-one basis than it is broadly, if you will. And that's why I think that Financial advisors are in a a key position to work with their clients on their giving and on their finish lines. And because it's more of a one-on-one type of situation. And I tell advisors that you can only get the right answer when you ask the right question. So asking the right question is important. And a right question to ask is, have you ever thought of setting a finish line? Have you ever thought of a goal that you would say, that's enough, this is what I want? And that question then, 
hopefully would would get them to be thinking about it. I also think this, in my experience was that you needed to work with a couple for probably a couple of years before you really had an idea of what they could do. Now I'm talking about the advisor that's working with people of wealth and the faith. It takes a couple of years. If they're going to maximize giving, a lot of wealthy people need to change their balance sheet. And that takes time. So it's not out of income where great giving occurs. It's really out of assets where great giving occurs. I've used an illustration again. I had a client who heard me give a speech on how much was enough. And he cornered me after that speech. And he said, I've got a business that's worth $30 million, and I don't need $30 million. He said, I'm going to go home and sell my business. And I said, what are you going to do then? And he said, well, I'm going to go to work for a ministry and I'll help them. So I said, let's talk about that. So I began visiting with this husband and wife and I had the relationship with him. I could say, God's given you the gift of making money. And I said, he's given you the gift of generating huge cash flows. And he was in the demolition business in Southern California, which demolition equipment is big equipment. And it's typically the business model would say you borrow the money to buy the equipment and then you sell your time and pay the debt back. I said, you, why don't you do something that I would not recommend from an accounting standpoint to anyone, but why don't you pay off all that debt? You're getting the cash flow. Why not pay off the debt? I said, makes no sense. I understand that. But it'll give you the freedom of doing whatever you want with that cash that you're generating. And he did it. Over a period of time, he paid off all of his debt. And this was the late 80s. Southern California was just booming. So it it made no sense, except California went into a recession. And... Every one of his competitors went out of business west of the Rockies. And he bought all their equipment for pennies on the dollar. And if you remember, there was an earthquake during the World Series in the early 90s. Now, you may not remember, but there was. And I was in his home that night. That happened. And it was his equipment that showed up in San Francisco because he was the only one that had the equipment that could take down the bridges and all of the damage. And he made millions and millions of dollars. In fact, there was an earthquake in uh, Los Angeles about two or three years later. And I never forget, I called him and I said, you know what? God just sends an earthquake anytime he needs some more money and and you get it and give it away. He, He ended up selling his business and he sold his business for 160 million. And he put 100 million of that in the National Christian Foundation when we had one part-time employee at NCF. And he said, you can use this money, so I'm going to give it away, but it's going to take me some time to give it away. And the income you generate off that money, you can use for your operations. Well, that allowed us to begin hiring staff at NCF, and the rest is history. In fact, I called him just several weeks ago. And I said, I don't know what anybody's told you, but I said, last year, NCF gave away almost $2 billion. 
And NCF wouldn't even be in existence had you not done what you did. So it was counterintuitive uh, to do that, but it, it certainly was biblical to do it. And God saw a miracle happen as a result of that. Once again, he had to make that decision, he and his wife. I could ask the question and I could give him the counsel, but he had to make the decision to pay off the debt, and then he had to make the decision to give the money away like he gave the money away, too. So <laughs> I've got all kinds of stories that God's allowed me to see people do things that are incredible, and that's one of them. The Chick-fil-A lady and the couple that lived in the trailer and the guy giving away $100 million. <laughs> those are three pretty remarkable stories. Yeah, man, I wish... We could just sit here for hours and just go through some of the things that you have seen in your career. You mentioned something that I wanted to come back to in a little more detail. You're talking about the concept of inheritance and the next generation and passing on wealth. And I'd love to just hear your kind of framework for how if somebody's in that stage where they're really trying to intentionally think through what should they leave to their kids? What kind of practical advice would you give somebody kind of walking through that process? I wrote a book called Splitting Heirs. And it's a book on wealth transfer, not estate planning. Estate planning deals with the tools and techniques and is typically tax driven. Wealth transfer says, what am I going to do with the wealth that I have right now? And it also asks the right questions when it comes to counsel. In fact, I got a call from a very wealthy man a couple of days ago that's been a friend of mine for a long time, and he's made buku millions of dollars. Uh, and he said, what advice would you give me relative to the children? And I said to him, I said, in the book, the first question that somebody needs to ask and answer is, if I leave, set the number, a million dollars to X child, what's the worst thing that can happen? And what's the best thing that can happen? And there's a principle. If I love my children equally, I will treat them uniquely because they're all different. And God treats us uniquely, but he loves us all equally. So that's the principle. Then as I look at my children and ask the question, what's the worst thing that could happen or the best thing that could happen? It took Judy and I two years to answer that question for our five kids. And that was probably 20 some years ago. And then as we continued to look at that and ask that question, as time went on, it became obvious that our kids were going to be fine. And so if we left a lot of money, it would probably end up with the grandkids. And we said, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Is <laughs> mm -hmm. a principle. I counsel people to, to ask that question, that first one, what's the worst thing that can happen? How likely is it to occur? And how serious is it? And then secondly, Treat your kids uniquely. Now, that takes a lot of maturity, uh, and it may take facilitation when you have a lot of money. Uh, 
It's going to be different if you own a business or if you have inherited wealth or employee-generated wealth. So it depends on the circumstances. But the thing that you don't want to do is to destroy a marriage or destroy a life with money. And it's hard to think of many really good consequences where there's a lot of wealth that is given that has not been earned. And again, over time, it's a lot different when you have teenagers or young children than when you have 56-year-old children, too. So it changes over time, but we're still asking the same questions. And I'd recommend uh, the book Splitting Heirs. That's going to be kind of a timeless book just because uh, it talks about the principles of wealth transfer. And you do use tools and techniques, but you don't use tools and techniques until you've answered some more fundamental questions. And it's not tax-driven. It's really biblically driven in terms of God's wealth. How does he want it used in the next generation? I said the last decision you get to make is who's going to be the steward of the things that God has given you. Well, Ron, I'm curious, as you implement some of these strategies in your own life and as you equip others with advice and teaching on how to create space for generosity, create space for God to work in and through the finances that he's given to you to manage, a natural question that arises when you do have margin is, how do you think about where to give? And I'd love to hear what factors you consider when you're thinking about where to give money. I would really simplify it from this standpoint. People give to where they have relationships and they give to where they share vision. So it's different for every person, but I do believe that nobody has enough money to meet all the financial needs in this world. That's why God gives us different interests, different relationships, different passions, So I say, look to where you have relationships uh, and look to where you share vision and be, be willing to hold your wealth with an open hand and give spontaneously as well as so programmatically. So we support missionaries and missions and so forth, but we give spontaneously also. So we don't, It's not all a formula. We want to be spirit-led in our giving. So like Sunday, we went to church, and we've recently moved, and it's a relatively new church. They have a gratitude Sunday. We didn't know about it. So we were able to just, we'd already written our tithe check, so we were able to write another check. Hadn't planned on it, but it was gratitude Sunday, so we wrote the check. And it's because we have the relationship there. We knew where the money was going, how it was going to be used. And uh, so we were confident in that. So hold it with an open hand is really the key to generosity and be willing to meet the needs. Uh, but it will almost always be somebody, someplace where you have a relationship and share a vision. As we're getting towards the end here, I did want to pivot and ask a, a kind of a different angle question. So throughout your career, you have had generosity as a mainstay pillar. And I'd love to hear how you help pass on that 
passion to your kids? Well, I had a father ask me a question one time. He said, how do you teach your kids to manage money? And uh, immediately the answer came to me. I said, well, I'll tell you this, more's caught than taught. They're going to do what you do. Uh, and I said, you learn to manage money by managing money. And you have to make mistakes to learn the lessons. So that's where we fail, I think, as parents a lot of times, is we don't want our kids to have to suffer for the mistake that, that they've made, perhaps. And this father, shortly after that, I, I saw him in church, and he said, I realize I do all my giving online, and my kids have never seen me give. And that is one of the downsides to the Internet and online giving. We taught our kids. They, they put money in the offering plate every week because that's what we did. So they had that habit and experience. So more caught than taught, and you learn to manage money by managing money. I like to simplify things. <laughs> Ron, you've had the benefit of seeing the inception of some major organizations in the, the generosity-focused space, as well as one-on-one -on -one time with so many individuals and families over the years. What are you most excited about when you think about the next five or ten years? I think, I, th I think the development of Kingdom Advisors has helped to create a Christian financial planning industry. And I don't believe it's accidental. I believe that God was preparing me to begin that process. And now we have thousands that are being trained. And I think that's what's the, over the next five years, what I see uh, is giving increasing tremendously. Everybody wants to know how they're doing, but everybody also wants somebody else to tell them. And that's why the training now of the financial advisors, I think, opens up thousands and thousands of people. And we're now living in uh, a time when the world has never seen a culture as wealthy as ours, nor have we lived in a time where we've seen such dysfunction. So money's not the answer. It's, it's self-evident. And uh, we have an opportunity to help people experience the freedom and the contentment that comes from managing money God's way. Well, so much packed into this conversation. You could easily listen to this twice over and, and pull out just as much the second time. As we get towards the end, I did want to leave some time for our manager's minute. We like to end every episode with one practical action our listeners can take in to step into their role as stewards and manage God's wealth wisely. So, Ron, do you have a suggestion for our listeners today? My thought is that each of us needs to ask the question, am I content? And if I'm not content, why not? And if you can answer that question, you're going to be likely to get onto the path of generosity because there's something standing there as a barrier if you're not content. And then I like to challenge people to give spontaneously, but also to give in a non-deductible way. Give away some cash. Find a single mom to support or something like that. 
there's a great joy that comes in giving to people. Judy and I give, there's a family that we know that has 10 kids and that they have 10 kids because they adopted five that were orphans and they adopted three that were in Ethiopia. They end up with 10 kids and now they're all going to college. <laughs> so we'd love to give to something like that. We go to the Costco sometimes and fill up a basket of things that they might need and take it over. Do some giving like that. You'll get a great joy out of that. And, and that's where you really experience, I think, the thrill of generosity. That just feels good. That would be my thought. Yeah. And just think about the amount of generosity that could be unleashed if every one of us did just that. Yeah. Found one or two people in our vicinity, we could step into the lives of, you know, that's the Holy Spirit at work and God at work through us. We get to be a part of that. Yep. Ron, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm so grateful to just be able to share some of your wisdom with us. And I'm excited to see what God continues to do through, through your advising influence over the years and through Kingdom Advisors and the incredible work coming out of that organization as well. So thanks so much for joining us yep. and, and for all that you've done. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it very much. Great interview. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 88. Before we finish up, have you ever stopped to answer the question, how much is enough? Financial Finish Line is designed to help you do just that. Our 90-day Finish Line Pledge breaks down the process into three easy steps. Step one, define how much is enough for your family to spend in a single month and use that as your monthly spending budget for 90 days. Step two, as God provides money to manage, set aside any margin outside of your finish line into a separate bank account. And step three, after 90 days, explore the millions of ways you can use that margin you've set aside to create joy, purpose, and impact in God's kingdom. Want to learn more? Check out our website at finishlinepledge.com. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.